0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rion, and it's a little weird because we're both in different places now, like fully different places, new apartments, new everything. I mean, we're all grown up. Title of the podcast, all grown up. I done. That's our Oh, apartment.
1: wow. All right, yeah, sure. I don't know if I'd go that far, but yeah. I, I mean, I, I would <laughs> not either. I,
0: I was having this conversation with someone the other day about... Um, cooking. And by the way, to show how out of commission I am, I didn't even pull my mic around. I just started talking. Um So let's let's try that again. Um But I was talking to someone the other day about like adulting and how I view cooking as a means to an end, like cooking for myself. Like I don't enjoy it. I just view it as a means to an end. So just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a full adult, I guess. Maybe I am, but I mean, a lot it, of ways I'm
1: not. I mean, I, I get that. Like, I usually like when I do cook, I cook like for multiple days. And so it's I'm not necessarily cooking for taste. I am cooking for sustenance. Right. <laughs> Correct.
0: <laughs> Correct. That's exactly my thing. And like I think we share a very similar opinion about food that way. Anyway, I don't know how we got on the
1: top. Very practical. Food. There's a practical way of thinking about It's, uh, it's it. but it's but it is not
0: a fun way to think about food. <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, I just need this thing to keep me, you know, alive. Correct, correct. That's exactly it. Um, but it's good to be back talking a little. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but like the season starts this weekend in most, if not all, I believe, top five uh, European leagues. So to keep us busy, we've had, what, the Women's World Cup, and we've had um, Messi just going off for Inter-Miami consistently, <laughs> which honestly if it just feels like a cheat code at this point. Um, and Ryan and I watched the which game did we watch? the the game against Atlanta United. Atlanta, the yeah. Played. yeah. And I think we both kind of like looked at each other and we were like, "This might work." Like <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. bastards almost pulled it off. I was just like watching these games, like laughing. <laughs> like, this
1: is uh, part of me is like, "This is amazing." Obviously, <laughs> like surreal to see him, yeah. Busquets, and Jordi Alba. I mean, they all played together for the first time uh, on Sunday, but, but, but it's, like, ridiculous. And then <laughs> the other part of me, being a Union fan and starting to do the math in my head, I think, like, if the Union win their game tonight, I think they play Miami next. I don't uh, or, know. Or, or, I think or it's, they I might think it's win the more. next two games. Yeah, two games and mm-hmm. they play Miami. I'm just, like, thinking about... The prospect <laughs> of that and not enjoying any part of it. And like yeah. went, from, went from being like, oh, it'd be it be cool if they made the they end up making the playoffs and be like, now I, I would actually really prefer them not
0: to. <laughs> like, yeah, they 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 actually could be good. I mean, look, they still have weaknesses and whatnot. Um, but yeah, fun fact, if Messi does go up against Andre Blake at Subaru Park, uh, we already have witnessed Messi put two past uh Andre Blake specifically so yeah that's not gonna go well um I mean you could say that for any goalkeeper yeah um,
1: yeah it's like it's not gone well for any goalkeeper (laughs) or
0: team in this in his first three games so far no no not at all um yeah FC Dallas blowing a two-goal lead twice is, is special I digress. Yes. Um, oh yeah. So,
1: like, can we, there's just, can we the header is that the, we're talking about. <laughs> the own goal. The Dallas own goal. I have not cracked <laughs> up so much like it <laughs> in a while from seeing the replay of that. Uh, it was like uh, I, I'm sure other people have made the joke, but it's just like the ball was so nice. The defender just couldn't let I it know. go. He's like, I can't. Someone's <laughs> got to score this. <laughs> <laughs> it's too I, good. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm just saying. If anyone wants this to make the case that someone's cooking these games, like for them, like <laughs> you show that you show that clip, and it's gonna be hard to argue because it's just like oh, it was man. too good. It was, it was, it was he's really heading it like towards his own keeper. <laughs> like, but no, like it was it was
0: behind it. It was a perfect header. Like it was spot on to the point where I thought Inter Miami had scored it, and then I realized yes. that they <laughs> yeah. just. They just hadn't and the crazy part about it is like he was nowhere near the or no other attacker for Inter Miami was near him like not even not even like, close close um, yeah that was, it was not even look
1: like he was trying to hit it away <laughs> from the goal like I, 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 I genuinely I was like okay yeah I, I, yeah. I, could, I could that was gonna be a funny one. I'm gonna think about that own goal for a while that's that is the most
0: blatant own goal I've seen <laughs> like ever oh <Like, laughs> <sighs> That is too good. Anyway, well, enough about Inter Miami, the MLS. Um, Before we get started, really what we're going to go through is our season preview in England. Um, We've got a new format for everybody this season, and I think it's going to work really well. We're basically going to be bucketing teams into different categories for each episode. But for this one, Rian, um, I want to talk about the Women's World Cup really quickly because we are now past the round of 16. Mm -hmm. And we do have to address the fact that the U.S. women's national team are just no longer in the World Cup, um, having won the last two and to, obviously it feels like a end of some sort of era and it, it, it literally is the end of a sort of era, but it are you really that surprised that they went out that early? Like, we watched the first two games, like the the, the Sweden game I think they've probably, that was their best game of the tournament But everything up until that point was, like, the the passing maps alone told you a story of a non-existent midfield. The number of chances that were missed, I think there had never—I mean, I don't want to misspeak on the stat, but effectively, there was a, like, under 1% chance for the quality of chances that the U.S. women's national team had versus number of goals scored, like, against XG— of them scoring only, I think what four goals through, uh, yeah. through the entire tournament. So uh, yeah. it was like an extra year of like nine or something. Like, it, it, but th- okay, I go back to my question. Like, are we surprised mm-hmm. that they went out?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I, and you know, you don't even have to you don't even have to look at the, just the group games from this from this tournament. Um, they had the three pretty pivotal games or pivotal friendlies last year. I think it was it was against. I want to definitely one was England, um, Spain was the other one, and I want to say the third one might have been Germany, but I can't I can't quite remember the third one. Um, but they played against those teams last season or last year calendar year, and the signs were there. Honestly, we can go back two years ago if we go back to the to uh, the Olympics as well, right? Like like they. They they went out pretty poorly in that one as well. I know they end up. Uh, I believe they got the bronze medal in that one, but they, if I remember, it might have. I can't remember if it was Sweden or not. But um, they didn't look good in that tournament either. And they haven't really looked good against teams that are close to their level in talent, right? Like like they haven't looked like that the last couple of years. And I know I think like personally for me I, and I was thinking as I was watching those games last year the, against the European teams, I just kept thinking to myself, I was like, there's no shot that like that you watch them play. Like there's no shot that we don't have the talent to play like a better team. Right. Like, yeah, like the, that's talent, the, that, the talent is definitely not the issue here. Right. Like, they had, even though they were like racking up the XG and the, especially in, obviously against Vietnam, I, I, but I almost throw that Vietnam game completely out because yeah. you know, on another day, that could have been like a Thailand score where they put up mm-hmm. like 10 goals, right? <laughs> I just don't – I the Vietnam team, Like with all due respect, was just not real competition. Um, that factors in when you think about – they created about nine in XG for over the four games. Like, almost five of that came against Vietnam. So right. when you look the the next couple of games, obviously the Netherlands was a was a really difficult game for them, and that's when it really showed that the midfield wasn't was an issue um, against Portugal. they're probably unlucky not to score somehow there, but even the chances that they did create and when they created they not that they didn't create good chances, they did create good chances in in these four games. but um especially in the group stage, the chances that they did create, not quite like repeatable patterns, right? It was mostly just sort from of, like individual brilliance, which like we know the team has. Like we we know the team has that. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. necessarily from like the team playing cohesively well, and that was an issue. It, that was that's been an issue for about two years now, really. Like since Vlatko Enoski was named the coach, <laughs> like that. That's that's been an issue for them, and um and the gap has certainly closed to the rest of the world and a lot of that due to like in just other countries actually investing in their women's sports. Like what a concept, like the talent was (laughs) all. No,
0: I mean, that's, that's literally it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're even seeing it from the rest of the big teams, right? Like England, almost going out to Nigeria, Germany, the second ranked team in the world, not even making it out of the group stage. Brazil didn't make it out of the group stage. You know, like, like the, you're seeing all those traditional powers really struggle um, struggle a lot more than they have in the past, but bringing it back to the uh, the U.S. side of it, it, it's really disappointing because again the talent's there, but it, it took until the fourth game of the tournament for the coach to put out a midfield that like actually helped the team on both sides of the ball, um, and, and 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 even with all of that, you still ran into the huge issue of. I mean, Rapino getting as much time as she did in this tournament, which is just like bittersweet because obviously she's a huge, she's a huge reason why they'd won the, the last two World Cups. But at 38, and basically doing a bad impression of Bruno Fernandes, <laughs> like, where she's just playing like here, the, the amount of like one mean, time that penalty or <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like Bruno at least. Connects on the the, like you know fifty percent of these passes, right? (laughs) Like she she, she was not connecting on any of them, and she was didn't have the athleticism anymore. And when you think about like some of the people that are on the bench, especially, um, I I know she's only eighteen, but Alyssa Thompson could have come on more in any of these games instead of getting like three minutes of like almost time wasting subs is what she got. Um, it's it was a real issue, and and I think throughout the tournament they had real issues on like the wings. Which happens when you when your best player Sophia Smith is actually a center forward, but you play her on the left wing the entire time, and the team has a lot of trouble progressing the ball that or creating chances from that.
0: And and, and also can be effectively run through by that Dutch midfield, which happens time and time again down the right mm-hmm. or sorry, I guess the left or which yeah. is left and right. Yeah, the US left side. Yeah, correct, correct. Um, so none of this was a coincidence. And I feel like to your point from all this, we kind of all saw the writing on the wall. If you, if you have been closely following the U S women's national team in some capacity over the last year. Um, but this is kind of the end result for that. Um, there are going to be a lot of changes from, I think a managerial standpoint, that's fairly obvious at this point. I don't know when, but I don't think it's necessarily a specific <laughs> rush. Um, but I think like Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, I would be. I, mean, Julie, to... I think
1: I think it was the last one from Julie Ertz, who's, who was fantastic, in, like playing yeah. out of position herself, playing center back instead of yeah. her normal holding midfield role. She was still she and and Naomi Gerba was Naomi yeah. was amazing. Oh my yeah. gosh, she's so she's so good. Like, <laughs> like yeah, there's a lot of things to be honestly um, excited about this team. But she was she was definitely my like standout from the tournament. Um, Even over say, Sophia yeah. Smith. Yeah, over Sophia Smith. I mean, it's the toughest part of all of this is that they still easily could have gotten past Sweden because they had two chances to win that shootout, yeah. <laughs> um, and Sophia Smith had the chance to actually end it herself and, and missed her and Megan Rapino miss the net completely. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, for for her, no, I don't. I don't think she quite stood out in this tournament, but um, but she will have hopefully. Two or three more, um, and you think about they were missing Mallory Swanson as well. Like, though I don't know how much that would have helped with like the other issues that the team was having. But I, I don't um, think it would. But I, I do have point. Yeah, yeah. I just would have been adding more. <laughs> you know, uh, people who could play hero ball and just score out of nothing. And <laughs> <laughs> that's all it would have been.
0: But, yeah, the Real Madrid um, uh, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean, literally, I was, I was. I was, like, prepared to, for that to be the way – that was the only way this team was winning, <laughs> where they just, like – the variance goes in their way, and they just score on, like, 50% of their shots. <laughs> um, but it wasn't to be.
0: Um, and like you said, there's going to be changes for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Well, with that, we are sorry to see the U.S. Women's National Team go out, of course. Um, but They'll be back. They will They'll be back. back. That's exactly it. They Olympics
1: will next, next summer. They'll be back they're still one of the t- two or three most talented teams in the world so yeah first sure. just you just need to actually use the players correctly that's all it, it's, takes.
0: it is a damn shame that they did not make it past Sweden because with Germany and Brazil out and one of Spain and Netherlands going out in in the next round obviously they well they might would have
1: played like, Japan next which also would, would- it depends. yeah,
0: I, I, I actually, no, I like, part, of me, part
1: of me is like, I think the Japan game could have been really embarrassing because that team yeah. is just
0: so much better coached than, yeah. than, than we are. Yeah, and, and the way that Japan plays would expose quite literally the worst of the U.S.'s weakest. <laughs> yes, oh my goodness, yes. Oh, that could have actually been really bad. All right, yeah. well, we'll save ourselves from that. Uh, Rian, <laughs> let's talk about the Premier League. Let's talk about everything related to... The season preview will start with basically top dogs in the Premier League. Fair to say Arsenal and City have effectively picked up where they've left off. City is treble winners. Arsenal has Community Shield winners now against City. Is this a two-horse race, or, 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 or are City still the favorites after a lot of changes in you know, some pretty major ones at that uh, over the last two months?
1: Yeah, I, I think these are still the two, as of right now, the two best teams in terms of like talent, and you know Arsenal have added some depth to their to their team. Um, I from the city side, like you said, like there's been a lot of changes. I mean, maybe a lot is not the right word, but key changes, very from key positions. Um, Gundogan leaving for Barcelona. Maher is leaving for Saudi Arabia. Um, there's still like, talk about Kyle Walker potentially going to Bayern Munich,
0: but I don't know how strong those links are anymore. Um, well, if you want some real-time updates, hey. Fabrizio is, uh, has told the world that they're close, as in City and Walker are close on agreeing a mm-hmm. new renewal. So. <laughs> sure. Okay, nice. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I saw right before no, we started no. No,
1: no, I'm just laughing because, like, this is kind of how it happens for, not just Kyle Walker specifically, but, like, I feel like this is what happens with uh, some of the City players in the past. Thinking about Bernardo Silva in the past too, where it's like, oh, they might leave. They might leave. They kind of (laughs) want to leave. They do want to leave. And then Fav keeps saying, I don't want anyone who doesn't want to be here. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, they'll just stay. We'll just stay. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I won't leave. And that's just easier. That's just what happened with Bernardo Silva, like, the last two summers. So, mm. yeah, I guess it's Kyle Walker's turn. Um, but, no, those are, like, obviously, between Gundogan and Mares specifically. And, and, honestly, I'm probably thinking a lot more about Gundogan. Those are, it's a key, really, really key um, departure for them, right? Where Gundogan, each of the last two seasons, has been their best midfielder in, in my opinion right of what he can do in basically every phase of the game from back to front his goal scoring a couple years ago was really really pivotal obviously to them beating out uh liverpool for the title last season i thought he was really important to obviously he chipped it again chipping in goals but also being someone who helped create a lot of chances right and the changes for them, like coming in, the big signing so far is Guardiola, um, who I don't, I think that's been made official now. Um, excited to see him. I mean, he's he's just one a wonderful passer of the ball and 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 um, just a very good player.
0: So it's kind of uh, he's he's, I mean, the most coveted center back in Europe. Yeah. In terms, of, in terms of young players. Young, like, young
1: yeah. yes, exactly, exactly.
0: And I, I don't know if you, you saw this on Twitter. I, I genuinely do not think this is a real quote, um, yeah. but either him or uh, someone else was reporting, uh, I think partially as a joke, that Pep said to Guardiola, like, um, oh, no, Guardiola said to Pep, you know, thank you for, for signing me. And Pep was like, no, no, thank Messi for bringing your market value down <laughs> after <laughs> whatever he did to you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, oh man, I almost forgot about that. He was actually defending so well in that. That's the craziest thing. Like, people kind of cloud him, but he actually did great. And just Messi, just he's like on Messi's ass the entire time in that in that clip. And Messi just gets the slightest bit of space and, and was able to get the assist. But um, I think the big the big question mark for me um, from the city side is Gundogan going out and Mateo Kovacic coming in. So they're fairly different midfielders, right? In terms of um, their style of play. And, and at least in our notes, I, I have up a little uh, radar that kind of compares Gundogan's stats from last season and Mateo Kovacic's stats from Two seasons ago, I did not want to use his I, season I know. last season because yeah. I'm giving a pass to basically every Chelsea player <laughs> <laughs> last season, including yeah. him. Um, but as you, you can see from it, like Gundogan is someone who's a lot more active in the in the box in the final third. Not Mateo Kovačić's strengths, right? Like he's not. And, and I'm not saying this to like ding He's like he's he's a fantastic player in terms of. He does things that Ilkan Gundogan is not particularly great at, which is dribbling and carrying the ball forward, right? Um, but the the kind of big difference in in their play style is that final third production, right? And and that's where I I'm really interested to see how the City make up for that, right? This I I don't expect that Kovacic will all of a sudden just be playing exactly like Gundogan did, and I. Honestly, I I feel like I can say this after watching him for the last few years. Even if they try to play him like that, he will not be as effective as Gundogan <laughs> was. So it would be a it would be detrimental to the rest of the team. Um, but that is kind of like my big question for them is how do they make up for all of the things that Gundogan did? Um, is it through Kovacic or is it through Kovacic plus? Do we see more um, Julian Alvarez playing, kind of like a ten, but kind of like a second striker, the kind of thing? Um, and whoever's playing on the right wing, whether that will be Silva, we know we know it'll be Silva probably in the big games. Um, but Foden, he chip in with goals and production. Like, how do they make up for
0: for the hole that's left now by Ilkay Gundogan? So well it's it's interesting you talk about like the the Alvarez piece of this because we kind of saw that this past weekend with, uh, with the Arsenal game and how Pep set them up right Julian Alvarez effectively played in that left channel cutting in behind Erling Holland and it was really interesting to see how Erling Holland moved because he made his 10 15 20 runs whatever it was in behind but effectively got no service and racked up zero XG right so it was interesting to see just how that piece and that link between kovacic and alvarez work because i don't think it worked very well but at the same time it it's one data point i'm not counting preseason friendlies but mm-hmm. it was one data point and it probably is going to get a lot better knowing that and one of the interesting pieces about kind of the fb charts um you know d- data set that you put in here is just how many more um like specific take-ons that Kovacic has, like, I, I compared to a I genuinely did not know that, nor did I really think about that, um, in the context of his season at Chelsea two years ago. So I think that is going to be a really, really important piece. Like the, the specifically the take-ons in that space where him and Alvarez are going to have to combine and really, really well in order to get the ball to, to Holland. Like Gundogan was effectively doing a two person job at scoring and playing midfielder. Like, let's be honest. So, um, now they at least can kind of balance it with kovacic i see what you're saying
1: yeah and you know and if honestly if that's the only like weakness that we could think about for, for the city side, it's it's um yeah, it's, it's they should obviously they will be the favorites again for good reason right um to the arsenal side of this though elias my question for you is How much better did Arsenal become this summer? We know that they added very talented players that will help with their depth in terms of playing in three to four competitions this season. Um, And I think that those pieces that they added are better than who was on their bench for most of last season, um, thinking specifically at the center back um, position. But... How much better did they become? and kind of how much of a gap was closed be- has closed between them and city? Again, from a talent point of view, we, we will see how they actually play when the season starts,
0: but from a talent. Yeah, point I mean view. I think it is very hard to say that Manchester City are not the most talented squad in the world. I think the only other team that could potentially give um, City on paper run for its money in terms of talent on paper, or like, like I said, on paper, maybe Real Madrid, um, especially if they get Mbappe, oh, my God, then de- yeah, <laughs> Real Madrid. Um, but outside of that, City are the most talented team in Europe. Let's just accept that after last season. I don't think many people are arguing with that. You then have to kind of take a look at really who left. Okay, Gunduan, Mares, that's kind of it. And we've already had the coach's conversation. So I feel like your question, while it is asking like how much better did Arsenal become this summer, but it's really asking how much better did they become relative to Manchester City? And if you look at Arsenal's top signings, right? Havertz, Declan Rice, um, and I would say Timber probably make up the, the top three for me. I think those all solve very specific needs that Arsenal had and, and ultimately suffered with last season. We talked a lot about this in the beginning of the season when Arsenal started to kind of go on their run. What was that? What was Arsenal's biggest problem? And for me, it wasn't necessarily specific a specific tactical setup. I know we've talked about kind of how defensively things sort of fell apart in the second half of the season due to injury. But for me, it was depth. And it was depth at key positions, depth for Odegaard. It was depth for excuse me, not um Jacob Aparte, right? It was depth in areas that really, for Arsenal to be the number one side in England, they needed multiple highly talented and highly skilled players. And now I feel like they have that, right? Kai Havertz serves effectively one and a half purposes, right? In an attacking sense. Declan Rice serves one very specific purpose um, in a defensive midfield role. And Timber is, again, additional depth as well. And I think All three of those individual signings are absolutely huge for what they they would need. And I think probably what they'll need for the Champions League. now. Like they, They haven't been in the Champions League in six years, something like that. So think about this in the context of where Arsenal are now in this upcoming season. They're going to play more games than they ever have in the last several years. They will have more competition because every other team knows that Arsenal is the second, if not potentially the first best team in England and they have higher aspirations so i do believe arsenal became better and i do believe each one of those players is going to be extremely valuable to them i think the the last point i'll make is that getting rid of someone like Granit Xhaka, um i i think i think this is part of Mikel arteta's thinking in that players that are either a little bit older not necessarily as athletic or may not be serving the purpose of the team for the now or the short term have got to go and that's a very pep-esque way of thinking about their uh, his team because pep kind of adopted that mentality when he was at barcelona he let go of some pretty key individuals if you remember same with Bayern, um and so and i obviously obviously city as well um with, uh, with other players so that's all to say yes i do believe arsenal did get better um this summer and i did i think they got better relative to manchester city which i think is the key point
1: yeah i think that's a that's a good way to think about it like relative to manchester city is is obviously the the most important thing if if you i mean they like like you said already that's the best team in europe so and unfortunately they are also in arsenals league but so that is like the bar right um i think i think the how much better they become is also going to be really crucial because last season we discussed it a but uh, like a good amount in terms of the luck the i mean the luck that Arsenal had in certain areas for that season to, that kind of gave them that gap in um in atop the league for most of the season right like they didn't deal with a lot of injury um issues until the last three months basically um they did not take the Europa league very seriously until until they got to knockout rounds until they woke up, up
0: and were like oh wait we can win this <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah and by that point you know Sporting had put like two on their head um, and <laughs> and um and they didn't really they didn't progress uh very far in any of the cup competitions either the domestic cup competitions so they had a they had a really good run at just basically premier league games for for a lot of the season right um and on top of all of that too that they outperformed their xg by over 11 goals last season and and I'll caveat it with you know the best most of the best teams in the world overshoot their xg because they're just talented and really good at shooting yeah <laughs> like that, like that's that's not necessarily um out of the norm right um but the other thing that you see is that their expected points, they also overperformed that by about 11 points. And that was the second highest in the league. City outperformed theirs by, I think, about five goals or so. Or sorry, five points or so. So the question being part of it, like you said, how much better did they get relative to Manchester City is a great, like, separate question. How much better... I think that my, like, other subset of the question is how much better did Arsenal become relative to their overperformance last season, right? And if they became so much better that it that you know, both their points and their expected points go up, then okay, they can sustain that. I feel like they will be able to sustain a title challenge for. I mean, they 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 stayed it almost for the entire season last season, but you know. You know what I mean? Like, they'll be more uh, or less at risk of one player going down and the whole thing going to shit, right? As we saw yeah, with, when Felipe yeah. went out. So,
0: I, um, I that's that's kind of the whole point that I'm always ultimately building to. I i completely agree with that, which yeah. is somewhat refreshing. For, for <laughs>
1: that, so. All right. The, the, the next group of teams that we're looking at here are the teams that kind of overperformed in kind of. of getting into Europe. Let's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the kind of, at least to say the caveat of here because the teams that we're talking about are Newcastle, Aston Villa, Brighton, and West Ham. West Ham getting into Europe last <laughs> season by winning the Conference League. Um, yeah. Not from anything that they did in the domestic league, like, at all, really. <laughs> um, but I, I think, the the interesting thing here obviously newcastle totally outperformed everyone's expectations in, in terms of finishing uh in the top four Um uh, and if i remember before correctly, you
0: say anything I else heard. about um newcastle have you watched the amazon prime documentary yet because i have, I have
1: not. not i saw i saw a clip um on twitter like recently yeah. but i hadn't watched it yet
0: i have also seen clips but i have not watched that just wanted to, to check okay continue i want to hear your, your yeah answer.
1: yeah no uh i mean like Newcastle were. All season, one of the four best teams, like by far. Um, uh, they're defensively, they were fantastic. Their pressing was, was very, was great. Like, they, uh, they really reminded me of, like, and, and I think I've seen other people say this too. So, I don't even, a the first like one or two seasons of Klopp's Liverpool, where it's just like the energy. And, of course, like St. James Park, like that stadium itself being like you go there and it's just like the fans are on you and then the press is on you. And they they kind of like felt like they fed off of that all season. And then even when they went away, the the pressing was fantastic. Um, So they obviously uh, uh, that this is a big season for them because they were they had no European competition at all last season. They got the free hit, the free run, every single week playing the same 11, having an extremely consistent training schedule, not having to leave leave the continent at any point, or leave the the (laughs) island at any point. Um, So it'll be a big, a huge, huge difference for them, right? Um, And then um, Villa, big season for them, obviously. Like, big season for all four of these teams, but... Villa have spent a lot more than the rest of these than these uh three other teams in the summer and they have gone all in on Unai Emery and
0: and Monchi now, Monchi.
1: Yep. They're they have gone all in on that. They've made manager signings. Right? <laughs> which, which we don't see the top top teams do much anymore, right? Like, we we don't see teams making signings just because the manager likes them. And, and Newcastle have had a couple of those this summer themselves with Tonali. And I believe Harvey Barnes was another one that um, Eddie Howe really wanted, right? So two teams that have a lot of expectations on them this season are kind of conducting their business in a... Honestly, kind of outdated way of the top what the top teams do now. I'm saying recruitment. What do you mean,
0: wise? No, no, no. I know, I know. But what do you mean by that? Because I I don't. I guess I don't know what the the phrase or the term outdated means. I also think about Mm. this specifically Newcastle's outgoing um, Mm. players. There's a whole separate conversation. I mean, we talked about this on the phone the other day uh, about Saint Maximin. Um, So, but like, there also have been outgoings from Aston Villa uh, and from Newcastle. Right, so it's not it's not all. I, I basically, explain what you mean by outdated. Yeah, a long way that. Yeah,
1: no, no. Just going back to like the manager first kind of signings.
0: Oh, right? I see. Okay, okay.
1: Um, we see from, I mean, obviously Liverpool is the big, the shining example of a club at least up until the last year or two. Um, I believe when Michael Edwards was still the swearing director before he resigned this the past year, uh, their signings were all very system-based by system I mean like a methodical recruitment system we're using data to try to find these bargain um, signings people who are very, obviously very good players not valued very high in the market because one reason or the other um, but they fit exactly how we want to play and it's not Jurgen Klopp that's driving this side he's not he's not going and saying yeah, yeah oh yeah yeah I've been watching I've been I've been watching <laughs> lots of uh of Roma tape yeah I've get that solid guy over here like like <laughs> it's it's it was yeah, not yeah. that right like that's not that's not how that's not how city um conducts their business either right they have a huge network of obviously the city football group their clubs and all their scouts and whatnot right um Arsenal, very similar. Like, again, not necessarily like Mikel Arteta is not picking out these players and go, I, other than probably you say other than like Sinchenko and Jesus, but you know, those are kind of no-brainers, right? But anyway.
0: Yeah, the different.
1: Yeah. But that, that's what I meant by like outdated. It's, 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 it'll be interesting to see because the reason why that becomes, an, that could become an issue and, from West Ham side, we've seen this too with Jean Lucas Kamaka now leaving right now too. Um, when you have players that are pretty much there because the manager wanted them, that's a tricky game to play if things mm-hmm. don't go well.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess from, let's take the, the example of Eddie Howe and uh, Unai Emery. that's the villa, right? Both of those managers have effectively proven that they have a system in place and a very strong identity of what either or both of their teams would like to look like and how they'd like to play. And they drove results from that, right? They very clearly did. What I think is interesting about Astonville versus Newcastle is when you bring in something like or someone like Munchie is you're not necessarily setting up a scouting system, right? And in trying to like, to your point, develop a whole network, et cetera, go out and find players. You are entrusting with a very small circle. In fact, basically a near non-existent fail safe of going all in like you mentioned. And excuse me, the, the thing to me that was honestly like the most surprising was just how much both of these managers have fully been trusted this summer with those signings. I could understand a couple here and there, like one, maybe two, like, Either big name signings going in or out, but like we're talking about telemans um coming from from Leicester. We're talking about I actually love um, what's it called Louis Barry, who I think left Aston but that's that's a whole other Spanish story for another day. Um and then from a Newcastle perspective, I already mentioned St. Maximin, right? That's a huge like I can't actually explain how I think how big I think that that is. Um I believe there were a couple of other players that were either released or, or, or let go in some capacity. Um, Harvey Barnes, I believe came into to Newcastle. So the point that I'm trying to make is like, this is kind of the start of a really, really big project for both of these teams. I am I honestly think both of them will go, will go well. Cause like the ultimate question is like, who do we really think is going to be the most successful this season? And I think part of that is marked by who goes for this in Europe and also who essentially goes furthest in the league based on their European games. I personally think Newcastle and Villa are in a better position than Brighton and West Ham. I mean, West Ham, again, we kind of put the asterisk on them anyway in this, but even more so than, than Brighton, um, just given their pretty pretty like, well-calculated risks, if that makes sense. Um, but I do want to hear your opinions on Brighton because I don't think they've even figured out their full transfer situation, right? Especially with Caicedo.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and this that's a huge question mark to um outside of Caicedo but they lose they lost McAllister over the summer who like Can I just wow. say by the way
0: before we even get to the Liverpool mm-hmm. um uh, or just even talk about Liverpool um great song. Great song. Whoever <laughs> whatever AI came in, came up with a song for McAllister. It's all right. Continue.
1: It's great. It is great. Honestly, I, I I'm with you. Um, it was stuck in my head for like a day or so when <laughs> when uh, when that video was going around. Uh, but from from the Brighton side, yeah, you lose McAllister, who, man, like like last the last season was he was just unbelievable all through through the through the uh domestic season, in the World Cup. Playing multiple different multiple roles um, from midfielder, a guy who like who at times played at the ten position for uh, when Grand Potter was there, and 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 then started to play a little deeper at, at the end of like Potter's um, time at the club, and then continued to play like deeper uh, when Deserby was there, and just a, a great like versatility in the midfield there. And um, I know they brought in they brought in some some very promising uh players as well we see that uh joao pedro is the guy they signed from watford who had a really good season in the championship um they signed dahoud from dortmund should be an interesting one he was just injured a lot for
0: for he, dortmund, he so. was but i think when he is very healthy or when he is healthy he's a, he is very good
1: very, yes yes he's a very good player I, I think as well um and then you know they're kind of relying on uh, i think we see like Mohamed Kudus might go there as well from Ajax, which would be an exciting one as well. Um, we know that they can recruit very well. Again, playing in Europe will be an interesting wrinkle for them, and and it's really and if they lose Caicedo as well, which who knows at this point? I, I genuinely don't know if you. Do. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> tells, don't even think Chelsea right right Brian's now. relationship is is. It's so weird. It's like whatever. <laughs> it, like I who knows what will end up happening with him, but um, uh, we know that he wants to leave. Um, but if they lose him, that's obviously a huge loss as well. And and that's a huge loss to their midfield. And I just and it'll be such a huge gap in, in terms of um ball winning midfielders that they have in their team. I'm sure they will go out and sign someone probably fantastic. <laughs> like probably probably yeah. so they probably sign someone who in like eight months will be one of the best players, one of the best young players in Europe, or something like that. But um it that'll be a huge test for them as well. Um I I think I have more faith in them because again, that that structure and ecosystem of the club itself, how it operates with recruitment. Um obviously I I, I think that we're probably both pretty big fans of Roberto De Zerbi, so I, I feel I feel like they're in good hands with him as well. Um, so I I think that they would be my team to say that I think will go furthest in Europe. Uh, actually, yeah, I think I think they'd go furthest in in Europe. Um, and then, will they be affected a lot by the by the European competition? I think all four of these teams will be affected pretty. Pretty strongly, I mean, maybe v- Villa signed a lot of players themselves, so they might have the most depth out of these four teams. But um, I, I still trust the whole Brighton kind of ethos. I guess it's it's, it's a it's a bit of faith, um, honestly, with the with the key departures that they might end up um, having by the, well,
0: end of the window. You talked about old fashioned, right, in terms of a transfer strategy or mm-hmm. a policy right with newcastle and asa villa brighton are really interesting in that while it might not be as quote unquote old-fashioned the players that fit into a deserving system are extremely particular right? right because it's very much dependent on who's around them and so i think it actually makes it easier for a team like Brighton to narrow down who they would like. And I think it gives Deserby the opportunity to look, I'm not saying he's watching Roma tape, but it probably gives him the opportunity mm-hmm. to do a little bit more research than a network of a hundred different scouts across all different continents um, are, are are actually doing. So yeah, something to it's, keep in mind. And um, it's
1: and it's helpful too. When you think about like, uh, they were one of the best teams last season themselves in terms of uh, their expected goal difference. I believe they finished fifth. Like that, like, like they were genuinely like they could have, in another world, where like some bounces go their way, and I, I keep I think back to that Tottenham game close to the end of the season for them, where it literally seemed like someone was fixing that game against them. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, th- there's another world where maybe they end up finish somehow finishing fourth, right? But um, but like I said, like I just trust that ecosystem more than the other fourteen, the other uh, three teams. And True. I mean, we can go to like to, to West Ham. My goodness. Um, well, before yeah. before I jump on on them, like just quickly back to the Brighton thing and thinking about like new school, old school re- recruiting. From Brighton's side, it's really easy to to do this and not ever not to go poorly when you're just signing a bunch of very technically gifted players like, who are just gonna be secure with the ball, are not gonna give it away very easily, and are not just like very very niche kind of players as we see is kind of needed for west ham in the way that they play when you have uh michael antonio come out and saying like at the end of last season like you know he, he wasn't trying to be an asshole to john lucas kamaka but he was saying like he's not you know he, he struggles and it's like it's hard for strikers in this position in this team because you're feeding off of scraps basically like you're not really trying you're not really like being played to to actually have the ball like you're like like a battering ram and when you're trying to sign those types of players and making bids for Scott McTominay and and Harry Maguire like you're, you're these are very specific types of players that are not necessarily good with the ball at their feet. I mean Maguire is but but his issue is not the, yeah, it's, not it's, the it's, ball
0: playing part. No, it's it's entirely separate and god I, I we haven't gotten to this point in the podcast but genuinely I don't think David Moyes makes it to Christmas and I think you actually said this yesterday too yeah. on the phone like if if that's the route that West Ham are going with two major competitions in the Europa League and the Premier League not say that their Premier League expectations are high but I don't think that they have the quality of the players to do that because they've already gotten rid of Skamaka and and Miguel Antonio is basically effectively what you just said. in, in I think mm-hmm. battering Ram is a, a harsh way of looking at it, but it's relatively accurate based on the way that West Ham <laughs> I could not describe him any other way in terms of like the type of <laughs> striker that he is. No, you're spot on. So, yeah, anyway, that's all to say that, like, Who's going to probably be affected the most in the Premier League by their European competitions? Probably West Ham. Well, yeah, for this,
1: again, which they which they were yeah. last
0: season too, right? Correct. <laughs> and I don't think it's close. I really don't. Um, so yeah. Anyway, those yeah. are my thoughts. Do you want to move on and talk about United and the other teams that we have? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was, um, spent a lot of time on those four, teams, but but those were we really those did really
1: interesting. Those are like I think those are some of the most interesting. Uh, positions in terms of thinking about the financial might of the Premier League, like those four teams yeah. spending as much
0: as they have in the last couple of years. That's... Don't worry, I'll I'll tell you soon just how much they've spent in comparison to other leagues around <laughs> the world. Let me let me let me clarify leagues, not teams. Yeah. leagues. Yeah. Um, uh, but I digress, Ryan. So let's yes. let's talk about the next section. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we're looking at United, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Spurs. Now, when we first put this together, we were just Liverpool, Chelsea, and Spurs, as those teams like underperformed last season. Um, but we got to throw United in there, too, because they overperformed in terms of what we expected. Um, I don't think, I, I I'm not sure who out there would have predicted that they finish above Chelsea, Liverpool, and Spurs going into that season. I'm not sure who would have said that. Two weeks after the season started last year, when they <laughs> had four goals put on them by both Brighton and uh, Brentford. Hey, but I, I, we said it a lot last season that it was a great coaching job by by Eric Ten Hag to just realize that his team couldn't play the way that he wanted to play. And so he just has changed how they're going to play going forward. And he's kind of doubled down on it this summer with uh, the commitment to like a transition style for Manchester United. So. I think my kind of question for you, Elias, when you're looking at those United versus those three other teams in Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham, do you think that United are positioned well to finish above
0: them, above those three teams again? I would say two out of the three, yes. Um, So look, I have been a United hater for a pretty long time, basically since we've had this podcast. And it's been for a good reason, right? I don't think that they've had the appropriate players. I don't think that they've had a clear identity of what this team structure should be. I think they've, over the course of the last two seasons, have had how many different center backs or how many different midfield combinations? Like, it boggles my mind. And I think United are finally in a position where I could see them very much challenging for top four in a way that does not feel like at the last moment could slip out um, of top four. And I think that will probably be shown in the way that they hopefully, for their own sake, dominate games. What do I mean by that? Well, when you hear things like Scott McTominay and Harry Maguire having less of a prominent role, if a role at all, in this team, that I think is a good wake-up call. When I look at who exactly has Ten Hag brought in, competition for Rashford, competition for if Martial actually... Plays uh, for this team anymore. Um, yeah, for the <laughs> ghost of, of Anthony Martial. Exactly, right. Um, <laughs> future Ballon d'Or winner. Andy yeah, Martial. sorry. I was just picking on the man for no reason. Um, and then also competition for Jayden Sancho in that context. Um, who else have they brought in, ryan I'm forgetting one other pretty Ma- key Mason Mount. Mason Mount. Thank you. The, thank you. For the midfield. Yeah. So my point being Mason Mount as well. Um, who you and I have talked a little bit about. I don't want to go into too much detail now, but I think we are both somewhat of the opinion that it's a weird experiment, but it actually could work. Um, I have a, a couple of reservations just about how exactly he interferes with Bruno Fernandez in some capacity. But ultimately, to answer your question, I think United are a better position to finish above two of those two of the three teams that kind of list in this category, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Spurs. I would say I think they're in a good position to finish above Chelsea. And I think they're in a good position to finish above Spurs. I actually am very bullish on Liverpool this season. I think statistically they had a very poor like first half of the offensive year. That makes no sense. First half of the year was poor offensively in a way that I think they very much figured out um, come January onwards, right? Luis Diaz injury was huge. And bringing in Cody Gakpo and uh, Darwin Nunez has seemingly fixed a lot of those problems and allowed basically Salah to have all the freedom that he's had prior to those two. And also gives that midfield, which is now significantly younger, thank God, um, multiple different outlets. And so I'm very bullish on Liverpool for those reasons. I don't think necessarily that United perform above Liverpool. But I do think they are still better squad than Chelsea and Spurs right now because Chelsea, I mean, I I don't even know if Chelsea have figured out who they fully are under Pochettino, but I do think Pochettino is the right manager for them. That's a separate question.
1: Yeah. uh, Staying on the United point, I I can obviously touch on the Chelsea side of it, but yeah, from United, it's um, again, a a similar kind of question towards uh, that we kind of pose a bit for Arsenal. Like, how much better did they become this summer relative? And we can say now like relative to, let's just say Arsenal and Manchester city. Um, how much better did they come relative to those two teams? I think jury's still out. I, I like, I know we've said that mounts a bit of an awkward fit in that midfield, but yeah. what he does give you is so much energy and pressing and the weight. And he's a, he's a, a, it's i know it doesn't feel like a huge compliment but like world class as a presser like like he is like it, he can help your team so much against the ball and keeping pressure on the other side um and then at his best he is fantastic around the box around and in the box like you said that's a bit of like Bruno Fernandez's areas too when he's not playing the, those direct um balls to to um United's forwards in transition. So I I think that there's there's I'm interested to see how they try to build up because I don't think necessarily that Mount is gonna make them better in build up than say, you know, Erickson was last season, even with you know, obviously he had huge deficiencies on the defensive side. But um, so that that's an interesting one for me. And then they they similar to Arsenal also overperformed their expected points pretty um majorly like like, almost nine points so that was the third highest in the league all of that by being the second worst in terms of their xg um conversion almost 14 goals under the xg which is the second worst in the league and uh that's where they're hoping hoyland can come and chip in there and then i guess you can kind of keep hoping that Jaden sancho gets better and and or he fits more and it's just he's he's falling a little bit into like the Kai Havertz thing a bit where you're just like I know you're talented but <laughs> this isn't working for some reason um so so they, you know they they've got those two things that they obviously will I mean the the goals is just what they need they need to be better in front of goal um and I agree with you I'm I'm, I'm bullish on Liverpool I they they have like arguably the they might have the best attack in the, in the league. They they might have the most talent in that in the forward positions in the league. You think in how, terms of
0: like non-concentrated talent? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like all I mean, I don't know how all of it's going to fit cuz it feels like they've got like seven attackers <laughs> for, for like three positions and it doesn't like I don't know how much better they actually got defensively. Um but they just by having, like you said, younger players in the midfield. In theory, they should have way more energy to do to do the pressing. Um, obviously, Schobeslai, who played at Leipzig for the last couple um, two three seasons, and also played at, I think, at uh, Salzburg before that, like very very well adept at the pre- at pressing and 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 can do that part of it right. So they got to get better at that. They were ninth in the league in expected goals allowed last season because um, that attack's gonna. Like they're gonna that task gonna be fine. Like they're gonna keep they're gonna keep racking up chances. That's not the issue. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think that I think that they are the they are the best placed to finish above finish uh best out of these four teams. They're the best placed for the teams that didn't finish in the Champions League places to finish in them. Um, the Chelsea's side I, the the preseason was very good from the. Not even like results aside, like the preseason was very good from like how the team actually played, um, especially in contrast to the second half of last season. Um, the injury to Nkunku, who had, they don't know exactly, they haven't said exactly what happened with his meniscus, but has some has had, had surgeries. He's gonna basically be out until January, just about. Um, that's a huge that's just a huge miss for, for Chelsea. Like, that's going to make things really difficult for them. Um, in a season that I already wasn't expecting, top four to be that much of a possibility. But, um, yeah, those are the... In Spurs, on that side, there's just so many question marks there. With this, We have a completely different conversation if Harry Kane is gone by the end of this window, right? So
0: it's almost tough to talk about them right now. And that's the thing, right? It's like in the context of overall talent and structure and, and really the solidified squads that are currently as-is, like, I do think United are a good squad now. I do think that Liverpool are a good squad. I do not see Chelsea and Spurs yet as, like, top team. I, I don't know how else to say it, because, well, part of, part of the season has started, but also, like, there are too many question marks around Chelsea. I think it's a little bit clearer how Chelsea will play under Pochettino, um, yeah. but it's not... I'm almost struggling to find the words, but it's not clear whether that will work ultimately. Like that—that is like the biggest thing, and it sounds obvious. So I'm trying to think of a different way to phrase it. But (laughs) I mean, um, it's gonna—it's gonna be. There's a lot of new players there
1: as well. Like, like it's gonna take time for that mm -hmm. to all come together, right? And um, even if you think that the players they brought in are talented, like it's just gonna take time to for that to all gel, right? Um, And at the same time there there's like probably the teams all the teams that we've talked about so far are all teams outside of west ham literally just genuinely outside of west ham um, they're all teams that that can talk themselves into thinking that they could finish in the top 4 they're all they're all teams that could talk themselves into it because of what they've done this summer, how they performed last last season, especially like in the second half of last season, they're all teams that 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 think that they can they could finish in top four with you know varying levels of luck, right? Very and, true. I uh, know, and That's they have, and a lot true. of them have the talent. Like if if things go
0: their way, like that, they can mm-hmm. finish the top four as well. That's something that remains to be seen. Well, look, Ryan. I think we'll we'll call it there for for this week there are a couple of teams that we did want to go through the newly promoted teams we we're going to go through the underperforming teams and then the under underperforming teams effectively is kind of how i would call them um i'll just say this because um, it's relatively new today in terms of news um julian lapetegui is out as wolves manager just after mutual agreement um, and I just wanted to share this news report from Guillaume Balagay because I think it's really interesting. Um, it, it sounds like Lapetegui, because we were talking about this a little bit yesterday about Wolves and how mm-hmm. they really haven't made any signings and they've just let Ruben Neves go to Saudi Arabia. Um, sounds like, based on Guillaume's reporting, Lapetegui was told that he could sign quote, young, talented, low-cost players at the end of last season. And he was then quickly told that that was not the case and only free agents were to be signed. And then Ugh. he was then told recently that signing free agents was not possible and he could sign nobody. So there must be a reason why wolves have truly just not signed anyone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any manager in that position. Yeah. Huh? Tough. Tough. Huh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's, that's going to they. They given themselves a transfer ban. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he said,
0: raise the rent, grind easy. Yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> uh, oh, yeah, but yeah. All right.
1: That's a that that seems like an easy pick for one of the teams
0: going down this season. That's a really good shout. <laughs> I didn't have thought about it that way, but definitely. Well, like I said, we'll leave it there. Um, Rion, I believe, has a fantasy Premier League draft to get to. Um, we have a different one tomorrow, but I hope you draft everyone. But Erling Holland, so yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah I don't have the first pick, so I'm definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: perfect. You're fine then. All right, thank you as always, ladies and gentlemen, for for listening and for watching. If you are watching us through video, um, we will talk to you all soon. We have a lot more to get to next week after the season starts in England and Spain. There's so much to to go through now that we're back, and we're looking forward to all of it. Talk to you everyone soon. Thanks, guys.